Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Carl, for the many gifts and abilities you've given him. We just pray uh, that you would speak through him now. We thank you for your word, that you bring it to life for us. And we just pray that Carl will give us great insight as we look at Acts chapter 2 together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much. So uh, one of the spin-off benefits of not having any DBS checks done is that we don't have an excuse for hour-long sermons. So I'll be speaking for about 50 minutes instead. Is that okay? So uh, we do have a bring your own Bible policy. So if you have a Bible, we are going to be looking at Acts uh, chapter 2. For about, I'll just check my watch. I'll try and be an obedient speaker. So we'll look at this for about 25 minutes, and then we'll have a little bit of worship. We're going to break bread together. Maybe in a way that we haven't done before in church, so we'll talk that through, and then we'll have a, a little bit of worship and stuff. Uh, just to, you know, think on the things we're going to be talking about this morning. Now, um, see, I'm just going to make sure I don't stand in the way of a, a, a goofer. Now, the stuff we're going to speak about this morning is really, um, for some, uh, it's a difficult subject. Uh, it could be perceived to be controversial. We are going to be looking at the gift of tongues as seen in the Bible. Now, what tends to happen in evangelical churches is that we, which we are, uh, we would say we believe in the whole Word of God, and we teach the Word of God, but we miss some bits out, because they're a bit tricky. Now, we're going to have a policy of not missing tricky bits out, but we we want to teach it, and then try and engage with it, and, and journey with it together, because for some of us, it will be new. You know, you can actually sit in church for years, in evangelical Bible-believing churches, you can sit there for years and miss out certain things. Now, just to give you some context, this is my own journey. Um, I came to Christ at the age of 18. Um, now, I know that seems like a bit weird because I look like I'm only 20. But I did come to Christ at 18, which is some years ago now, nearing 43. And I came to Christ in what they call a brethren church. So I didn't, I didn't have a Christian heritage. My mum and dad didn't go to church. Uh, I only went to church when someone died in order to bury them or for a wedding. So I wouldn't go for any other reason at all. I only went to church because my mate called me a chicken when I found out he was a Christian. And I took the mick out of him. He said, you're a chicken if you don't come to church with me. So I went to church. And the only reason I kept going was because I saw a really hot girl sitting in the back row who ended up becoming my wife. So it's like a kind of a cosmic ambush, really, uh, looking back at it. But the Brethren Church were fantastic. The elder at the church at the time, there were two elders, they were both called Ron. One was really tall, one was really short, there was two Ronnies. And, and uh, Ron Blows uh, was the, the short elder, and he, he loved the Bible. And he had a real thing about discipling people. So he would take me back to his house, um, on a Sunday night, most weeks, for a long time, and he drilled me in the Word of God. And I thank him for that. The one thing that the Brethren Church did was they loved the Bible and they taught it. He taught me about the character of God. He taught me what it was to be a godly man. I hear the particular way of speaking. He would go things like, this is godly. And doing that is not godly. He said, you are not being godly. But if you do this, you would become godly. And so that kind of, it still echoes in my mind now. And one of the really wise things he said to me when I went to him and confessed a, a, a list of sins at one Sunday evening event, young man, the time to start worrying is when you're not worried anymore. 
He said, so I think this is more godly. So that was good, and that's a good bit of advice. Uh, so uh, they taught me the Word of God, but they missed some bits out. Now, because they love the Word of God, it made me read the Bible. Because when people are infectious about anything, you, 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 you catch it, don't you? Don't you? When people are infectious. I mean, you talk to someone that's massively enthusiastic about medieval tapestry, and, and there is a chance you might become enthusiastic about medieval tapestry. Talk to someone who is massively into streamers or expressive dancing, and there is a possibility you could become enthusiastic about it. Um, it's a challenge, but it could happen. So they did give me an enthusiasm for the Word of God. To cut a long story short, the first Bible I ever had, well, actually, I was given a Gideon's Bible at the age of 12 by the Gideons in school, but I smoked it because I realized it was made of Rizzlers. But the first Bible I ever got properly, um, I did actually devour it. And I've still got that Bible. It sits on my desk at work, and the cover's worn out, and some of the pages are worn out, and bits are highlighted, and I started to get into it. And this is what happened. I started to read about the things that Jesus did. And I started to read about the things that the early church did. And then I go to church, and I think, why aren't they doing the things that I saw Jesus doing? And why aren't we doing the things that I see in Acts? And I thought that was a legitimate question. So I went to the two ones, and I said, I'm reading this, and I'm not reading anywhere that this doesn't happen. Why don't we do that? And they said, we are. I went, no, you're not. We are not doing that. We do this. And the answer was, that doesn't happen anymore. That didn't satisfy me. Fast forward a couple of a uh, few years, Karen and I go to Spring Harvest in 1994. The the speakers at the front announced they were going to pray for everyone, and and they called everyone forward uh, who needed prayer. And I, I've always been in need of prayer for a whole raft of issues. So I thought, well, I'll go forward for prayer as well. And Karen and I, we, we weren't married, we, we went forward for prayer. And to be honest with you, it was carnage. Everyone on the platform started rolling around and falling on the floor. Uh, apparently, something to do with the Holy Spirit. I didn't understand what was going on, but I started to feel a combination of scared and angry. And then they started to pray for everyone who was standing around us. Now, Karen was there. Back. She's a witness to it's exactly what happened. We got prayed for by someone who wanted us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and nothing was apparently happening. So then they started to push my head so that I would fall over. Um, as you will see, I'm quite a bullish character. And I'm built like a fridge. So I pushed him back with my head. Um, after a few minutes, I'm actually now like this. It's like... Well, you are not going to push me on the floor. You know, I, it was a standoff. We had a Mexican standoff at the front of Spring Harvest. Uh, after a few minutes, they gave up. They stopped praying for us. And I looked around at Karen. Someone had left Karen alone, and they left uh, me alone. And we looked around, and it was like a battlefield. There were bodies littering the floor absolutely everywhere. And Karen and I were standing alone with no one with us. Isn't that exactly what happened? And and I and I tell you what, I try and seek to be a man of peace, but I can have a little bit of an aggressive streak. 
and I was cross. I was really angry. And I, the process that's going through my head was, I see this stuff in here. That is not this. That, that isn't it either. Now, I'm a car-carrying Pentecostal. I'm an ordained, healing Pentecostal minister. I'm taking up a job as one of the leaders of the Pentecostal movement. But I tell you, what I saw there was not what I see in this. What we want to try and do is unpack actually what we see in this when I read it in a minute. But I'll finish the story first. What then happened was that I went back to my budget accommodation room in Butlins, in Minehead. Back in 1994, it was reminiscent of Colditz, but not quite as good. So we had a grey camp bed with rough blankets that were used as sort of an exfoliant treatment. When you, when you, you go in there with rough skin and you come out smooth in the morning. And, and the toilet actually, I'm not being crude, but it actually had a groove in it where it had been used since 1864, you know, on the, on the back of the porcelain. So what I'm saying is it was not conducive to a moment. We love moments in church, don't we? You do a preach, you do an evangelistic preach. We don't do this at Christian Vision for Men stuff. We preach the gospel and we tell people to confess their sins and give their lives to Christ. If someone starts playing a little bit of soft music in the background, I'll tell them to stop. We don't finish sermons with soppy dog stories to make everyone feel emotional and then make an appeal at Christian Vision for Men stuff. That's what happened in my budget accommodation room. You could put all sorts of things in there, including a string quartet. There would be no atmosphere in a budget accommodation room in Butlins in 1994. I sat on the edge of the rough bed and I prayed like I hadn't prayed before. And I actually, I can remember it pretty vividly. And the prayer went something like this. I read this stuff in here and I'm not seeing it in my life and I want it. I'm not, that's not it. Why do you, no, I was actually angry for Karen more than myself. Because Karen was, I think you were a bit tearful, weren't you? You were upset. I was in tears, you know. I'm like, no one upsets my wife including the leadership spin-offs. You know what I'm saying? No one upsets my wife. You know, I do have a moderately aggressive face, so I've been banned from the door of welcoming people into church. So I, I keep wandering out there and uh, enjoying it. They say, go away. You know, you don't, don't, don't stand there. You'll scare people. So I'm actually feeling aggressive. I'm angry. And so do you know what? The reason I'm taking a long time to get to the reading is because some of you will feel the same. You see stuff and you heard stuff and you've experienced stuff and you don't like it. And some of you have read stuff and you're thinking, why don't we see that? But I'm a bit scared of it. I just want you to know that I've been exactly the same in the journey. It's taken me a long journey to go from where I was to where I am of seeking God. I sat on the edge of my Butlin's accommodation bed and I, and I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. And you'll just have to trust me on it because um, it's an anecdote. But I'd like to think that Karen has seen a, a, a minor change in me in the years since. I am a work in progress, a bit like my beard. It takes time, doesn't it? We're all like a building site. I sat on the edge of my bed, I prayed to God, and those of you that have been on the London Underground will know this experience. You know before the tube train enters the station, you can feel the pressure? Like you know the train's coming, but you can't hear it. But there's a pressure change. And then as the train gets nearer, it's a brilliant feat of British engineering, it flushes the air through the platform. It's the way that the system's vented. The trains push the air through the system. That's quite cool. That's just an engineering side back there. But the air was rushing through, and that's what it felt like in my budget accommodation room in my head. 
And all I can say is that I was consumed with a sense of fear and a sense of the holiness of God at the same time. So much so that I actually, this is, there's been two occasions where that's happened to me. I, I actually slid off the edge of my bed and I was on all fours on the floor and my forehead was touching the floor because I was actually scared and had a sense of love at the same time. It was, I knew it was God. I'd given my life to Jesus. I, I was pursuing him, but I'd not felt anything like that before in my life. And I started to pray. And then I realized that I had other words in my head. And it was like a bubble wanted to burst inside of me. And there was no one else there. So I started to pray in what I now know is tongues. And so much, so profound was it, I can actually still remember to this day, over 24 years on, or however long it is, I can still remember the first words I prayed. And then I stopped praying, and I looked at my watch, and it had been two hours. And, and it, it was actually transformational. And then I went back home from Spring Harvest, and I met my mate Stuart Holgate who was a bit sceptical, he was a sci-fi fan and a bit weird. And and I met him, and he came to Christ in 15 minutes. And we told him about Jesus again. And we prayed together. And that was the truth. I just want you to bear that story in mind when I read this to you. That's been my experience, and it's been a pursuit ever since. And sometimes we get it wrong, and sometimes we get it right. But I believe there's a sense of the glory of God and gifts he wants to give us, which are transformational. So the disciples, you know, they're scared because their leader's been killed. You know, they're in the upper room. They don't know what's going to happen. They're praying and seeking, and this is what happened. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. I think they're making the point there are a lot of people from other places. That's the point. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And we'll stop reading the verses. So you think, what is going on? What is that all about? Now, we have to be careful when you read the Bible. Like we said, we want to explain it all, but we want to see what's actually being said here. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. It doesn't say it was a violent wind, does it? It was like a blowing wind. And it says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest in each other. It doesn't say it was tongues of fire. It says, it seemed to be like tongues of fire. In other words, I think what's important is this. 
as evangelical Christians, and I'm assuming that 99.9% of people here today are, what we like to do is button everything down. We like an explanation for everything. We like to read a verse of scripture and, and we have got the interpretation. I used to pride myself on that coming from a brethren church. We knew it all. We had the best teaching, the best theology. We knew it all. But i tell you what I've learned as I've gone on. And as I started to kind of open my heart a bit, there is mystery in life too. There is mystery. And unfortunately, or fortunately, we're not going to be able to button it all down this side of heaven. We can do as best we can. I think it's right to. But we need to learn as Christians who are filled with God's Spirit to live with a sense of mystery. It seems to me there that they don't actually know what was happening. They were trying to describe something that was supernatural and otherworldly. What I do know is that there are a whole bunch of people speaking all at the same time and, and the people from all these different places were just hearing their language next to each other. That is strange. Now we're not very good at living with strangeness and mystery and weirdness. So you think, What's actually happening here? Now cast your mind back. Because of time, I haven't got time to go into all the subtle nuances of this. So I'm going to put some headlines out there. Cast your minds back to Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. What happened at Babel? People were filled with pride. We will build something and reach up to heaven. Everyone spoke with one language at that time and God scattered them. You will now not understand each other. I will confuse you and confound you. Which is why we now speak in other languages like Essex English and received English, which are profoundly different. Because God wanted to deal with our pride, and he needed to because we had the wrong heart attitude. At Pentecost, this is a significant sign that when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit touches us, actually we can, in God's mission, as we seek to reach out, transcend uh, uh, cultures, ethnicity, language barriers, when we unite together under the purposes of God. That's a very important thing. That's one of the reasons why I'm what they call a charismatic or a Pentecostal. Because actually the work of the Holy Spirit enables us to do mission. That was a very significant sign. And I have actually witnessed that happen. I've seen it. About, I can't remember how many years ago it was now. I must have been in my 30s, definitely, mid-30s. I was in India. And, uh, you know, when, when you ask people to help prayer at the end of a meeting in India, everyone comes forward. Because they haven't got super drug or boots the chemist. They just want prayer. So that's all they've got. I mean, you know you're desperate when you can't go and get an aspirin. And you've had a headache for a month. So some bloke comes along from Wanford and says, do you want prayer? And they'll even take prayer from you. Because they're just desperate. So everyone came forward in this meeting, hundreds of people. And I prayed for them all individually, one by one. It got to about midnight, and I was hot and bothered and sweaty and tired, and, you know, true to form, a little bit grumpy, if I'm honest. And, and my friends, Prim and Nalima, had actually, who are beautiful people of God, they'd actually given up uh, interpreting for me, and they were sitting on a stone wall just over the way. And they had uh, iced bottles of Thumbs Up. Thumbs Up is Coca-Cola in India. It has a hint of spice in it. It's a bit like Dr. Pepper, but spicier, made by the Coca-Cola company. I'm a little bit of an addict, because it's got all this stuff in it you shouldn't normally drink, and it's loaded with sugar. So I'm looking at them drinking thumbs up, and I think, all I want is a thumbs up. 
Now I'm just going to tell you what I did. By this time, I pray in tongues regularly on my own in private. So this guy standing in front of me asking for prayer. So I thought, well, I'll just spot that down there. I thought I just I'll pray in, in tongues. So I laid my hand on his shoulder. I didn't bother asking him what he wanted prayer for. Bad form. I couldn't speak his language anyway. And primarily we were drinking a thumbs up. So I'm grumpy. I prayed in tongues for a few minutes. And I finished praying. He looked, he looked happy that he'd been prayed for. He looked a bit emotional, actually. And then I went over to Premier and Lima, and they, they weren't talking to me. Uh, and they said, well, we'll go now. I went, okay. So then we, we got in the car, and I was, I was staying in like a ward compound. It was a little bit dodgy with the BJP out there at the time, so it had to be quite secure. And we drove there for about 20 minutes, and then they still weren't speaking to me. And the routine was, after any ministry, you always have food. Curry for breakfast, curry for lunch, curry for dinner, curry for post-ministry snacks. So I was having, having some samosas and stuff, and they served it, and he was still silent. And do you know what? This is, this is the conversation. Very hesitantly, Prem, who is a, a significant leader now, actually, in Hyderabad, in Andhra Pradesh, in India, he says to me, he says, Carl, um, why didn't you tell us? And I said, tell you what? He said, it's a bit embarrassing. He said, but we've known each other for about seven years. And um, we've been speaking Hindi around you and Telugu um, in your company, thinking you don't know our language. I went, yes, I don't know your language. When I know enough Telugu so I've got a bad stomach, please don't give me any more food. That's about it. And, and, and he looked at me and he said, he said, brother, do you speak Hindi? And I said, no, I don't. No, really, I, I really don't. No, you do. No, I don't. Really. And then the Lima says, we're embarrassed. I went, don't know why. He said, you speak. And he went like this. Beautiful, classical Hindi. He went, what's classical Hindi? He went like BBC Hindi. Beautiful, word perfect Hindi. I went, no, really. You know, I speak, I'm from Romford. You know, I speak Essex English. He said, no, your whole prayer was beautiful. I thought the bloke looked a bit emotional when I'd been praying for him. And I said, you're serious? I said, yeah. That. He said, do it now. And I went, no, I don't know any. I mean, I can say chicken tikka masala. Is that Hindi? I mean, I don't even know what that is. This is made up. You can't even get that in India. This is made up. That's all I know. That, that, that is this. I was actually praying in a language I know to be tongues. That was this. That's authentic. I mean, we all cried together. I mean, to be honest with you, when I tell these stories, you might notice earlier, when I remember back some of these experiences, it still profoundly moves me now. So I know I was encountering God. And I long for that, don't you? And I think, this is, this, this is putting a marker down today. In this church, we believe for that. We want to practice that. There's a right way and a wrong way. But that's what we're about. And we understand that that might make people feel a little bit nervous. But there's nothing nervous about feeling the love of God in a new and fresh way. And now, there's individual prayer in tongues. I haven't got massive time. I've got five minutes. What I will say is this. There's individual prayer in tongues, which is your own devotional language. And I, I pray in tongues a lot. When I'm in my car, when I'm walking to a meeting, 
when I'm praying for people, sometimes I find it a very useful gift just on a practical note because although I'm seemingly more eloquent standing at the front, I am also a bloke. And sometimes I do run out of words to say. But I find that my tongues are such a blessing to me is that I personally I can pray for a long time. The words sort of flow. So as a private devotional language, I have found that it draws me closer to Christ. And I have noticed that when I take a habit of regularly praying in tongues, things seem to happen around me where God seems to be involved. I will say, I don't understand it. I know Jackie Pullinger wrote about this in her book, Chasing the Dragon, that when you pray in the Spirit, things seem to happen. So that's a private thing. There is also corporate tongues, it seems, in Scripture. And in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 14, sorry, you do see that being played out. And I'll just quickly reference that. Um, there's a whole chunk of stuff in 1 Corinthians 14. We haven't got time to go massively in it. But what it does say is it, it gives you an instruction for how the gift is to be appropriately used, which seems to imply to me there is an expectation that it will be used. So, for instance, when Jesus talks about fasting, he doesn't say, if you fast, he says, when you fast. It's just expected that as Christians, one of our disciplines is fasting. When he talks about, when uh, Paul talks about tongues, he doesn't say, you know, this is just in case it happens. This is, you know, when you use this gift, this is how you do it. So there's an expectation on the church. And it says this, what should we say then, brothers, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. You'll have noticed over the last couple of weeks, pictures and words and scriptures are being shared, and this is an atmosphere where you can call out prayer, where we participate. And there's a sense of freedom that we believe in, because we're all priests. It's the priests of all believers. We can all contribute during the worship. And Gaz and team are leading in such a way that we're leaving space for that. But then he mentions this tongues issue. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. In other words, we don't use gifts in such a way that it ends up destroying people and upsetting people, a bit like I experienced. That, that shouldn't be happening. It may be that sometimes things will upset you, but that may be because God's convicting you, which could be something different. And it says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three, most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Quick word on this. If we are worshipping and someone feels that it's right to pray in a tongue, and they pray in a tongue, then what we would generally do, Dan or I would come up and say, that was someone praying in a tongue, in case it's busy to see, we don't understand what's happening, there's someone communicating to God in a heavenly language, let's wait for an interpretation. If no interpretation comes, and God doesn't grace Dan and I with an interpretation, then we'd move on and we'd stop using that gift at that particular moment. My expectation is that there would be people who interpret. This is what a tongue is. It's a Godward prayer. It's a prayer from your heart, from your spirit to God. So if I pray in a tongue, an interpretation wouldn't be, the Lord is saying, do not eat spaghetti bolognese tonight at 6 o'clock. That's, that's, that's like a, someone giving a, a dodgy prophecy. A, a tongue interpretation would be something like, God, we are seeking you with all our hearts. I'm seeking you and I'm... I'm feeling nervous as I come before about issues, and but I wish you were here with me right now. I'd long to know more of you. You know, it's an outpouring of your heart to God. You see, tongues is a Godward prayer. It can be a catalyst gift which triggers off other things to happen. So, for instance, my, my old senior pastor, when I was being raised up into ministry, told me this amazing story where 
uh, someone prayed in tongues for the first time in their meeting when the gift started being used. And the interpretation was, dear God, I feel like I'm standing on a precipice. I've just prayed in the Spirit to you for the first time, but I'm just feeling so nervous now and scared, but I want to know more of you, I want to know more of you. And someone, someone interpreted, you know, that was interpretation, and someone broke down in tears and ran out of the meeting. It turned out it was a woman who was on the edge of considering committing adultery that day. I feel like I'm standing on the edge of a precipice. You know, but I don't want to go that way. And, 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 it, and it saved her marriage. That, that is that. Is that. I remember a time when our church, that I used to be senior pastor, was on the edge of, of moving into things of the Spirit. And I was driving down to the church and said, God, you know, please, you know, we, we, we need to reboot this. This needs to be relaunched. You know, our, our first senior pastor, uh, my senior pastor I'd had, had left with a quadruple heart bypass and, and I didn't want to lose ground. And as I'm driving down there, I just felt the Lord say, well, you have to do it. You go first. You're the leader. But, oh, no. You know. But I stood up that meeting and I prayed. I said what I was going to do and I prayed in the tongue and there was interpretation. And then this catalyst thing happened. And people started encountering God and people sharing words and pictures in the evening service. And it was a beautiful thing. People didn't get damaged. People got built up and they were excited about what God was doing. I think that's, that's what we're longing for. What we're longing for is a sense of building each other up, encountering God, enjoying the gifts that he's given us, being empowered for mission, seeing unity come. Actually, when the gifts are used appropriately, it, it, what it does do is it unifies us. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't drive us apart. It draws us together. You know, it is the reversal of Babel so that we can do mission. So there is much more that I could say about this. But due to time, I, I said I'd do 25 minutes, that's about bang on. What I want to just put a marker down, Dan and I, is to say, that is what we are at Redeemer King. You know, we won't, we won't hide what we believe God has for us. The Bible calls them good gifts. Does it mean we expect this to happen every week? No. Do I expect that each of you now should be exercising the gift of tongues? No. Do I think that each of us should be eagerly desiring the good things that God gives us? Yes. Does it mean that you're a second-rate Christian if you don't pray in tongues? No. No. That's where it goes. What we expect is that each of us should be seeking God with all our hearts, reading the Bible, getting excited about what he does. And if he so graces you with a gift, then, then stay humble before him and just love the fact that he's so blessed you and then use it. If someone has a gift of tongues, in your family, and the other person doesn't, oh, I can totally relate to that. Cool. Don't matter. Uh, Karen uh, has more gifts of insight and clear-sightedness than me. She looks at situations and pastoral situations and sees things I just don't see. And I'm the, I'm a part, I've been a pastor for years. She sees things I don't see. I exercise gifts in other directions because we need the body, don't we? But I think our responsibility is that we seek after God and we behave in such a way that we build each other up. So what we're going to do, we're going to just sing now, we're going to worship, and then uh, after a song or two, I don't know how many, we're going to break bread together, and Dan and I will talk through how we're going to do that, and then there'll be a little bit more worship, and, and a chance for us just to be in God's presence, and maybe just today be saying, this is a, this is a new marker for me, this is, a, this is a moment for me, actually, to say, I might be a bit scared, I might be a bit nervous. I'm not sure I agree with it all. Some of that stuff, Carl said, freak me out. But I do want to know you more.
I want to know you more. I think that's what this is all about. So let's stand together and uh, I'll just pray as we leave this.